Well, good morning. Good morning. It's a joy to be worshiping here with you this morning at North Holland Church. My husband, Eric, and I have been eagerly anticipating this day for the past weeks and months. So thank you for welcoming us so warmly. And thank you for being a people who sang all the verses of the hymn. I love, love that. It's an honor to continue pursuing the Lord's Prayer with you. It's a familiar yet incredibly abundant text whose ancient words have been carried by the people of God for generations. With that being said, let's pray. Lord God, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ our utmost concern. In your name we pray. Amen. I'll be the first to admit to you that when I've heard a text before, or when I have a text such as the Lord's Prayer memorized, it's easy for me to sort of gloss over the meaning or to assume that there's nothing more that I could learn from it. And if you're like me, then I would like to invite you, as I've invited myself, to set aside those temptations and instead to lean upon what we believe, that God's Word is living and active like a double-edged sword, that familiar words carry a special sort of meaning. They acquire a dimension and a richness and a character. They provide us with a greater sense of who we are the more that we hear them. These words from the Lord's Prayer shape who we are because they affirm whose we are. With that being said, hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6. Verses 9 through 13, situated, of course, within Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The word of the Lord. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us in, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom and your will come. Give us daily bread. Forgive us. Bring us. Rescue us. Pray. The original hearers the listeners of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 to 7, were likely poor, downtrodden, lower class, desperate, but curious, hopeful men, women, and children. Maybe they knew God. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they cared about Jesus. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they listened. Maybe they didn't. There are many people today who know this prayer or have prayed this prayer without knowing God, caring about Jesus, or listening to the words. Jesus, however, is assuming that the people he is speaking to do in fact pray, because this then is how you should pray. Jesus tells them not to pray for the sake of being noticed or for sounding impressive, but because praying is who they are. But whenever you pray, Jesus says in verse 6, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Praying is daily, like bread. Praying is in familiar places, like your room. Praying is intimate, like secrets and debts. Praying isn't supposed to feel like shoes you haven't broken in, or a mattress that's too hard, or a stiff, new, button-down shirt. Praying is meant to be a worn book, or the smell of a person you love, or slipping on your favorite old pair of jeans. Praying is old, and it's ours. When Jesus commands the disciples and crowds to pray in the Gospel of Matthew and teaches them to pray in Luke, he was not creating something new but rather looking back upon a tradition and a history. Jesus is stringing together familiar concepts that were already on the minds and the hearts of those surrounding him on that mountainside. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus pairs praying with giving and fasting, and he uses the same language of assumption. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. In chapter 6, verse 2, Jesus says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Similarly, when he says, to pray, he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then, of course, fasting. When you fast, do not look somber, as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Giving, praying, and fasting are marks of the followers of God. The people of God give to the needy. They pray authentically. They fast secretly. Today we're focusing on prayer, the Lord's Prayer in particular. But here's the problem with Jesus' assumption that the people of God pray. The people of God don't always pray. There are many people today whose exclusive prayer life consists of half-heartedly murmuring the communion liturgy once a year just to be safe. And there are many Christians today whose exclusive prayer life is a responsive call to confession or recitation of the Lord's Prayer once a week, maybe even once a month. The people of God should pray, but often they don't. The question then becomes not, how should I pray, but why should I pray? When Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, he wasn't answering that second question, why should I pray, because that was not the purpose of this particular message on prayer. You know you have a teenager on your hands when the conversation shifts to why certain standards or rules are in place, 
Why should I be home by 10? Why do I have to do my homework first? Why do I have to do chores? It's not that Christians are sassy or immature when they ask why they should pray. It's just where they are in their own spiritual development. Why should I pray or fast or give to the needy? Why is it important to attend church? Why should I read the Bible? Why is it important to have a Christian community? Why is it important to spend time with God every day? Why? I'd like to briefly tackle that first question, not all those questions, just the first. Why should I pray? Because why would someone want to pray the Lord's Prayer if they don't think prayer matters? Asking this why question wasn't necessarily culturally relevant for Jesus' mountainside audience, but it is certainly a relevant one within our curious congregations of 2016. I do believe that Christians want to pray, or that Christians want to want to pray. At some point in our walk with God, we have really good intentions and pray with consistency. Some believers quit and feel convicted by their prayerlessness. Others pray because it's the Christian thing to do. Many Christians pray impulsively when tragedy strikes or when a crisis befalls them. And then there's a sort of lull in their prayers until the next difficulty comes along. I would like to pose two simple answers to that question. And you'll note that in these two answers, I am assuming both the presence of faith and a desire to want to honor God. You should pray because, number one, it pleases God. You should pray because, number two, it's God's gift to you and to the church. We should pray because it's for God and it's for us. Prayer is pleasing to God. When we pray to God, we are recognizing who God is and that God matters to us. The opening words of the Lord's Prayer are a classic example of this. Our Father, hallowed be your name. God is our Father. God is our provider, our caretaker, our creator. Our Father is a recognition of that fundamental relationship. Some theologians who are more sensitive to masculine language have substituted our father for our mother, but it still has similar connotations. God is still our provider, our caretaker, and our creator. In the Lord's Prayer, God's name is also holy. Hallowed be your name. When we pray, we are honoring God because we're acting in faith. We are choosing to believe that God is real, that God is listening, and that God cares for us. And God appreciates being recognized, being worshipped, and being loved. It pleases God when we pray, so we should pray. Why would you claim to care about someone and then actively go out of your way to avoid bringing them pleasure? So we should pray because prayer is pleasing to God. And also because prayer is God's gift to us. Just as we show God our love and commitment through prayer, God shows us God's love and commitment in prayer. Prayer is God's way of saying, I want to spend time with you. I want to hear what's on your mind and in your heart. I want to hear what's troubling you today, what's bringing you joy, where you see me and where you don't. I don't slumber. I don't sleep. I want you to have complete access to me 24-7 because of how much you mean to me. Prayer is God's gift to us, a sign of a desire to be in a relationship with, relationship with us. It's a commitment to reciprocity. 
We can use language of being in relationship with God because of prayer. God wants to dialogue with us. It amazes me that we serve a God who would actively seek this type of relationship with us. That is unique to our faith. Prayer is proof that God is pursuing us. We should pray because that is a gift. Much, much more could be said about both of those things. But for today, let's remember together, we should pray because it pleases God. And we should pray because it is God's gift to us. The Lord's Prayer is one example of that gift from God. So what about this prayer, then? The Lord's Prayer is an expression of faith, not only in what it says, but in what it assumes. Christians are not self-sufficient creatures who only cry out to God in the midst of chaos or emergency, but always, continuously, in thankful praise, we admit our true dependence upon God through prayer. We are made to pray. We need to pray. We need God. We serve God. Those are the fundamental claims of the Lord's Prayer. When considering the Lord's Prayer, William Willimon and Stanley Hauerwas wrote the following in their book that Pastor Stephen loaned to me, Lord Teach Us. They said, This prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is not forgetting what we want, but rather for bending our wants towards what God wants. In praying this prayer, we become the people God has called us to be in Jesus. I wouldn't be surprised if he's quoted that here already, because that's a really good quote. That's a really good quote. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, it pleases God. It's God's gift to us. We are proclaiming that we want God's will to be done. We are bending our will to God's will. That's an expression of faith and love. That's what prayer is. I cannot stress in five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, or hours the significance of prayer in the biblical witness, nor could I possibly communicate the transformative power of knowing the Lord's Prayer just in one sermon. Over the past few weeks, I know that Pastor Stephen has led you through this prayer verse by verse, which will continue next week. And so I trust that you are discovering together why each piece of the Lord's Prayer is so life-giving and fundamental to our identity as followers of God. For the purposes of our time together, I'd like to reiterate that when Jesus presented the disciples with the Lord's Prayer— He was compiling different theological concepts from pre-existing prayers. And therefore, I believe that this practice of reiterating prayers that we know or crafting our own prayers is another significant takeaway from the Lord's Prayer. There are dozens upon dozens of of examples of prayer in the scriptures ranging in both expression and emotion. There are also dozen more modern interpretations on how to pray. This upcoming week, I will be chaplaining at Camp Geneva with my friend Paige, and we will be teaching the staff five different ways to pray. We'll be talking about prayer through art, which is what Paige loves to do. We'll be praying through the Psalms. We'll be praying in Hebrew. We'll be lamenting, and we'll be walking through the labyrinth. Some people, when they pray, like to take walks journal, write music or poetry or meditate. There are so many ways to pray. Prayer is critical to the people of God. It's a characteristic of the life 
of faith. It's a mark of good fruit. Regardless of how you pray or through what medium you use to pray, it is important to remember to pray with words that you mean to a God you actually believe is listening. Words are important in the Bible. They're important in prayer. The ancient sort of Eastern understanding of words and the way that words function is really different than ours. In my Hebrew class at Western Theological Seminary, we discovered that words create worlds. Words have the power to create reality. Look at Genesis, where God says, let there be light, and there's light. The words, let there be, by the power of God, create the light. Let there be the sun, let there be moon and stars, let there be trees and grass and fish and deer and man and woman. The naming of children in the Bible, or the changing of a a name, is yet another example of this concept. Names are important in the Bible because the assumption was that a good name, a good word, set the child up for a good life. A life that brought about honor, prosperity, or peace. The word created that reality. Or the word changed that reality. I believe that words are still creating worlds today. Words take the stuff that's in the inside and they bring it to the outside. All of our hopes and dreams, wishes, desires, feelings come out in sometimes articulate, but often mumbled phrases that shape our past and present and future. Words are important because they define the narrative that we carry inside and share with the world. I am happy. I love you. I'm angry with you. My world is falling apart. These words have an important power because they make something true. Words have the power to build up and the power to destroy. There is an important and obvious connection in the discipline of prayer between spoken word and action. The ancient commentator and church father, Cyprian, once said, God, who is incomparably holy, is not made more holy by our prayer. Rather, we pray that his holy name may daily be made holy in us. Cyprian knew that words created worlds. If we pray about God's holiness with our words, then God's holiness will be made holy in us and to us. If we tune our attention to God, we are uniquely aware of God's intimate presence and the way we live is different. We are a people of prayer and fasting and giving because of who God is. We have a vocabulary, the Lord's Prayer, in which we are swept away by the grace-filled calling given to us by God. The Lord's Prayer is straightforward and pretty unadorned in its plainness. It is a fundamental and familiar prayer. Certainly, it is not a summary of Christian beliefs. You'll notice that a lot is missing, including Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the resurrection. But it's classic. The Lord's Prayer is good, and it's a gift from our Savior. We should pray because it pleases God and because it is God's gift to us. We should pray using the Lord's Prayer because Jesus gave us these words to pray. We should continue to pray using our own words because it helps to align us with the reality of the kingdom of God, speaking God's wants and desires into existence in our personal 
and in our communal lives. I thought that the sermon titled Disciples of Prayer was pretty ingenious on Thursday morning when Pastor Stephen texted me and said he really needed a sermon title. What I meant to articulate through my cleverness was the connection between prayer and discipleship. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we pray as the people of God, and then we live as the people of God. We pray, and then we go, and then we pray some more, and then go, and pray and go, and pray and go. We pray when we get it right, when we mess up, and then in all the space in between. We pray the Lord's Prayer in church on Sunday morning and on the drive to work and before we fall asleep. We pray when life is good and when life is bad. I promise that there will come a time, and I'm sure that some of you are there now, when you really don't want to pray. Perhaps you're angry with God or feeling a little lazy. Maybe you're not sure if there's really somebody listening, or maybe you're tired of not getting a response. Perhaps you doubt that prayer pleases God or that prayer is God's gift to you. Maybe you question whether or not God loves you or whether or not you love God. Maybe you're so ashamed that you don't want God to see you in that vulnerable place. Or maybe seeking God is just too much right now. That's a rough spot to be in. Really, truly, I mean that. It's difficult to be in that place. So if that's where you are this morning, I feel the heaviness of that burden with you. If that's where you are, please don't carry that alone. Because you are not alone. Tell someone and don't give up. Even if you're too tired, too angry, too confused or intimidated or stressed or busy, please don't stop praying. It doesn't have to feel good or easy, just honest. It doesn't need to be a beautifully crafted prayer or float you to some theoretical heavenly place where everybody's praising Jesus. But it should be messy and it should bind you to something that's real and true. Just pray. With that being said, I think it's about time that we pray. So would you pray with me? Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You are so much more than we could ever imagine, and yet you are here on New Holland Street on a routine Sunday morning in West Michigan. Thank you for loving us. God, thank you for the incredible gift it is to pray and to be with you. We don't always like praying. We don't always know how. But give us grace within ourselves. Give us courage to pray boldly and often. Give us honesty before you and before our fellow siblings in the body of Christ. Give us opportunities to pray for one another. Give us patience to listen well. Give us courage to turn our prayers into action. God, as we go into our week, be even more powerful and real to us in ways that we cannot ignore. We love you, Lord. And together we pray that prayer that your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power, the glory forever. Thank you, Audrey, for opening the word to us and teaching us.